Hi, I'm Kaylin Mendez, Pepperdine Graphic Media's podcast producer. My podcast, Small Studio Sessions, focuses on students who are involved in music, giving them a place to perform and talk about their passions. Small Studio Sessions. You can check it out on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Graph. On February 8th, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department put out a report of a sexual battery that occurred at 23900 Civic Center Way, known to Pepperdine students as the Stinkies. Can you explain Stinkies real quick? Lindsay Sullivan is an assistant news editor at The Graphic. Stinkies is an apartment complex that is less than a mile from campus, and its official name is Malibu Canyon Village Apartments, and a lot of Pepperdine students live there. And why do they call it Stinkies? I think it has to do with um, the sewage problem in Malibu. And several years slash decades ago, um, before they got the sewage in that area under control, the apartment or the area around those apartments really smelled. We have the alert that Pepperdine PR sent out to the students. Can you please just read a couple sentences from it? Yeah. The university became aware this afternoon of an off-campus sexual assault reported to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. The incident occurred on February 8, 2020 at approximately 3.45 a.m. on the, a block of Civic Center Way in Malibu. The Sheriff's Department issued a community alert indicating that the suspect entered an unlocked apartment and awoke the resident by sexually assaulting him or her. The suspect then apologized and rapidly exited the residence, possibly under the influence of alcohol and or drugs. The LA media immediately covered the story. A Malibu community is on alert following a frightening sexual assault. Investigators release these photos and say this is the man they are looking for. Investigators say the suspect entered an unlocked apartment on Civic Center Way and then sexually assaulted someone inside that home. The student involved with the incident was initially willing to speak with us on the record, but understandably later requested anonymity. The voice from our interview has been altered here for the sake of this episode. Um, and I knew that my other roommate wouldn't have been in my room at 4 a.m., but um, when I kind of came to, I noticed that it was a grown man um, standing at the foot of my bed, leaning over and poking me while I was asleep. Um, it was absolutely terrifying um and then it's terrifying to find out like what you would do in that situation yeah. and in the situation i completely froze mm -hmm. um i couldn't scream or anything i also didn't want to set him off mm -hmm. i didn't know what he was there for mm -hmm. or what he was capable of um so i just pointed towards the door and he started apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm drunk, I need help, I'm so sorry. And then he just ran down the stairs and out my apartment. I'm James Moore, and welcome to The Graph by Pepperdine Graphic Media. Today on the show, Lindsay Sullivan reports on the account of a sexual assault of a Pepperdine student in the Stinkies and how a federal court ruling may have played a role in the incident. Today is Thursday, February 20th. So when you first started reporting on, on this story, what were the steps that you took? Um, the information came to our newsroom via word of mouth. Then I contacted um, the victim and asked if she 
would want to go on record about what happened and she was really willing to talk about it. So I met with her and heard her side of the story. What struck you about the victim's reaction to the incident when you talked to her about it? Um, I had talked to her not even a week after it happened. So I think she was still then and is still processing um, the trauma from the incident. Um, but she was really outspoken to me and actually expressed that she wanted the story to be told, specifically um, the way that police handled the situation. She felt like it wasn't done in a very delicate or sensitive manner. Um, was the, I wasn't very satisfied initially with how the police mm. handled it, um, which was definitely a hard realization um, to feel like the people that are supposed to be keeping your neighborhood and your community safe maybe aren't doing the most that they can be doing mm. in order to ensure that everyone is okay. Yeah. What did they say to you? Like, did they say that they would... So they, they actually asked me what I wanted them to do about it, which was kind of confusing to me yeah. <laughs> um, because it's their job. Yeah. Um, and then, but their initial question was um, if I was on any medications and if I had um, taken any substances or anything like that, which mm -hmm. I guess is normal protocol, but um, what was really upsetting was when they asked me if I had um, in the past had experience hearing or seeing things that weren't there. Mm -hmm. um, and so the majority of their questioning kind of um, felt like it was focused on figuring out on figuring out whether or not I hallucinated it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was mostly it. And they said there, since there was no sign of a disturbance and since he was um, nice about it since he wasn't very violent um that there was really not a whole lot they could do about it um and one thing that she mentioned to me was that um there were no women involved in the original interviewing process and that just made her a little bit uncomfortable because they didn't have the tapes at that point to confirm that a man had actually entered her home so they were at that point just trying to figure out if it had actually happened. Um, and so a lot of the questions were about if she has ever hallucinated before, if she has vivid dreams, if she had taken any drugs. And I think that just made her uncomfortable and made her question the validity of the situation. And then it, she, she said that it took police several days after the incident to collect the tapes. Um, so the investigation just, I, on her end, it didn't seem like it was handled um, in the best way. And the cops that showed up that night, that they were Malibu cops, right? There actually is no police station in Malibu. So it's everything that happens here is handled by the Lost Hill Sheriff's Department. Um, after I heard her story, she mentioned um, a bunch of different departments like the Lost Hills Sheriff's Department, um, HOA, and management of the apartment complex. So I reached out to any names and numbers that I could get my hands on. And um, some people answered and then um, referred me to other names, um, but I didn't actually get anyone to go on the record other than the victim herself. And then um, some other 
people that live in the complex. So I talked to Susan Duenas, who is the public safety manager for the Malibu City Council, and she told me that one thing that has affected homelessness in Malibu uh, in the past year is a 12th Circuit Court ruling that basically said law enforcement is not allowed to kick people out at night uh, if they're homeless in public areas. Could that have played a role in something like this? Um, she said to me that during the initial investigation, which was that same day as the morning of the, the break-in and the incident, um, that police were really cautious to file a report because the way that she expressed it um, was the way that they handle homelessness, homelessness in Malibu um, is they don't usually like to issue reports about them unless the incident is inherently violent. Um, and at that point, they hadn't deemed it to be violent. I think that disturbed her a little bit, too, that they didn't want to file a report initially. Um, one thing that the victim mentioned to me that um, police had notified her of was that there is a colony of or a community of um, homeless or transient people that live um, directly below the complex um, in kind of like a field area off of Civic Center Way. And I guess it's possible that law enforcement not wanting to relocate them could have played a role because they had direct access into the complex through um, a breakage in the barbed wire fence that surrounded the complex, um, or still does. And that breakage has since been fixed, but before they had complete access to it. So um, it wouldn't have been difficult for any one of them to get inside. How have students who, have, who live in Stinkies responded? I'm not exactly sure what the root of the issue is, but she mentioned that a lot of residents of the complex, while there's three or four people living in each apartment, there's usually only two sets of keys um, that's shared between all of them. And so a lot of residents will leave their doors unlocked during the day and at night, like um, the victim did. And so that was kind of the reason why the transient man was able to get into the apartment because they had been leaving their door unlocked and so had a lot of other residents. So after um, the incident occurred the next day, apartment management set out a notice um, that every resident have a, their own set of keys and that they leave their doors locked at all times and just be more cautious. I think that just kind of plays into the kind of safety facade that's in all of Malibu though. And a lot of Pepperdine students believe that safety isn't really an issue here. Um, and I know even some faculty on campus said that they will leave their doors unlocked a lot of the times too. So it's not just particular to that complex. On Wednesday night, as we were putting together the pages for our Thursday paper, we got a message in the graphic team chat. Caillou, um, a staff member, had 
sent in a group message a screenshot of a tweet that the Lost Hill Sheriff's Department had posted, um, basically saying that the suspect had been arrested and was in custody or is in custody. Um, and that happened yesterday morning on PCH. That after the break. My name is Gianni Coquella and I serve as PGM's uh, Pixel editor. The Pixel is PGM's weekly newsletter where we send out highlights about our top stories and upcoming events and other relevant newsworthy information. Essentially what I do every week is I try to keep in touch with all the stories that are coming through at Pepperdine and even kind of around the world too. I mean, I try to make sure that I'm covering things that are really important nationally, internationally, and at Pepperdine so that when I do write the Pixel, people are able to get a glimpse in what's going on both here on campus and in our community, but also around the world. You can find the Pixel on the Pepperdine Graphic website. Welcome back. And then last night, we got a notification that the man had been caught. Let's just try to like explain that story to our listeners. Because I was sort of involved in that as well, right? Um, and they released the name of the individual, and the name is Matthew Fairchild. So, Lindsay was designing a page, right? You were designing a page? Yes, I was. And so um, I decided to start looking up if we could find anything on this person. Um, and it brought up a lot of results, but you couldn't find exactly what the charges were, but there were some felony charges in there, etc. So I started looking up the LA courts documents and you could do a reverse search by name to see different case numbers. And I found the case numbers. So we found two cases the first one was in July 2nd of 2018. He pled nolo contendre, which means no contest plea, which basically means he's pleading guilty, but he's not admitting guilt. Uh, and it was on counts of assault by means likely to produce great bodily injury. And the second was um, a not guilty charge on account of pro um, prohibiting sitting or lying down in downtown or Main Street in Santa Monica at night in the doorways so and that would b lead you to believe that he's homeless right correct what are you thought what are your thoughts on the greater question of this sort of story and what sort of implications come as a result of it i think that this one specific incident points to a greater issue um in the malibu community and within pepperdine students specifically in that we just kind of take our safety for granted and assume that it will never be compromised. But I'm just glad that nothing more severe happened right. and that this can be a learning experience and um, the community where I live is a lot safer because they found out that there was a fence that was intentionally cut at the bottom of the complex, and there were multiple transients um, living in the field right behind there with access to, um, through the fence, to the complex. Um, and they fixed that, 
and I, they are definitely taking a lot more measures to ensure the safety of the residents, which mm -hmm. I think is really important. That's all for today. See you next week. Kaylin Mendez is our podcast producer. Cameron Gordon is our production manager. Maddie Carr is our managing editor, and our executive editor is Chana Steinmetz. Our theme song is written by Jeremy Zerby. Our logo is designed by Natalie Rulon. Elizabeth Smith and Courtney Stallings are the PGM advisors. This episode was recorded in the KWVS podcast studio. The Graph is a Pepperdine Graphic Media production.